Now, I've planned this mini-series on communion with God with the aim to encourage us to have deeper communion with each person of the Trinity, to encourage a deeper relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit. And, and I'm convinced that all of the Christian life flows out of our communion with God. All of our hope and strength, all of our, the grace we need to be able to walk in holiness and obedience and to stand firm against temptation, all of that flows from our communion with God himself. And this is not, I um, just want to say, for, for especially those visiting us, this is not our usual diet to take a topical series and study a topical like, like we're doing here. But uh, our regular meat and potatoes, you could say, is more expository preaching. We go through verse by verse, through books of the Bible, because we believe that the Bible is sufficient and, and enough for us. But at times, it's also good to consider a topic like this, to, to encourage us in certain aspects of our Christian lives. Um, so let's read that text together. Let's pray and then we dive in. Okay, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, just one verse. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We ask you for your grace. Lord, we pray that the devil won't have his way in this moment, Lord, to steal the word of, of the Lord from our hearts, to distract us, to cause us to not pay attention, Lord. May our, our souls lean forward as we anticipate you speaking to us through your word. Lord, please be gracious to me and fill me with your spirit that I may speak clearly. And Lord, may our lives be transformed by your power, we pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. So, beloved, every human being has a longing for what I've called communion. Communion simply means togetherness. A group of people coming together and who share something in common. So communion is when a group of friends come together and they're supporting the same rugby team. That's a form of communion right there. They're sharing something and they're doing it together. Now another simple illustration of communion comes from the Bible itself. Let me give this illustration. Revelation 3 verse 20 is another illustration of communion. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, if that's not communion, I don't know what is. Communion, another illustration of communion is simply sharing a meal, sitting down, eating with someone, and sharing your life, sharing your concerns, just everyday things. We all have that longing for that with somebody else. We all have a, a deep desire for real connection, for real relationships that are deep, that are authentic, that are real, that are not just superficial on the surface we long to share what we have and we long to receive from other people and until you found that kind of a relationship with even with just another human being you will always feel that 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 ache in your soul for communion uh, c.s lewis made this very simple observation about why we praise he says praise is very simple it's we do it very naturally you say oh look at that or did you see this what are we doing? We, we are sharing what we have found valuable, what we have found joyful. We see beauty, we value things, and we want other people to share in that joy that we had. Now, this week I had a, 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 another example about my son. Um, he picked up a seashell, put it against his ear, and he says, oh, I can hear the sea. 
And then almost immediately, his attention shifted to me and said, Dad, did you know if you put this against your ear, you can hear the sea? And I put it against my ear and I said, oh, wow, you're right. I can hear the sea. And only after I said that to him was his joy complete. Before he shared that, that joy of hearing the sea in the seashell with me, his joy wasn't full yet. It wasn't consummated in a sense. But when somebody else, when you see that same joy you had in somebody else's face, your joy is complete. Your joy can rest in a sense. Now, we have a longing for that with, with other people. We have interests, desires, burdens, and unless we share that with someone, our soul will always ache. Now, that longing for connection with one another is actually just a shadow of our true longing for connection with God, for that communion with God, the God who made us. We have a longing to share our lives with him, not just one aspect of it, our communion really right throughout the day, everything of us we'd long to share with him. Now, I know there might be some of you here this, this afternoon that knows of what I'm talking about, of this longing, this, this longing for communion with God, but just you just don't know if God wants that with you. You don't know if God really wants that relationship with you. Or you're not even sure how to begin. How do you even begin this relationship with God that we call communion with him? And so even if you have no idea of what I'm talking about when I'm, when I'm speaking of communion with God, then for you, I want, I want to invite you in, into a relationship where there is communion with God. I want to introduce you to his forgiveness, to his grace. And for those, many of you I know have already entered into this communion with God. I want you to have a deeper experience of that. I want you to have a greater longing for God, a deeper experience of that. So today, simply four ways of how you and I can deepen our communion with God. Four ways we can deepen our communion with the Son. And the first of these will be applicable whether you are saved or not saved. And that's the first way is this. Rely on his grace for communion with Christ. Rely on his grace for communion with Christ. The text we read, what does it say? May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Because that's the only way you can relate to him. You cannot relate to the Son, the Father, or the Spirit by any other way except by grace. The moment you try to come to him by what you have done or your good works, your communion is immediately corrupted. God is light. We are darkness. And what communion has light with darkness? It's a rhetorical question. None. But Christ came for the sick, not the healthy. He came for the lost, not the found. He came to save us from our sins, not that we might just realize how good we already are. You see, but so we enter into this relationship by grace, but we don't stop approaching him after we have entered into grace. So that's what happens with many believers. We, we are saved by grace, and then we want to relate to him by, by our performance or by our works and earn his grace, earn his love. But you never stop approaching the Father except through his Son. You always come by the grace of Christ, by the blood of his Son. Many Christians are like Dobby from Harry Potter. I don't know how many of you know Dobby, the, the, the house elf. That once they feel they've disappointed or disobeyed their master, they bang their heads against the closet and want to throw themselves into the fire to punish themselves before they can move on with their lives. 
Many Christians are like that. I need to punish myself first. How could I have done this sin for the 20th time today? So I'm going to throw myself into the fire. I'm going to punish myself on the back, and then I can go to the Father, to, to Christ for grace. You, you might wonder, how could God give me grace after what I have done? But in that moment, when you think like that, when you think, how can I come to God for grace because of what I've done? You misunderstand what grace is. You don't understand what the word grace means. The moment you say, I cannot have grace because I am unworthy of it, you actually think that you have to be worthy for grace. But that, the definition of grace is for people who are unworthy of it. To give something, God's favor, God's love, God's acceptance, not because you are worthy. Precisely the opposite. Because you are unworthy, and that's why you are desperate for grace. There's a verse here that I think captures this concept well. Romans 4, verse 4 to 5. The, the, the two ways you could relate to God in Romans 4, it says... Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So the one is working and trying to claim God's grace. God, I've worked for 20 years. I've been a member. I've done this. I've been baptized. Lord, you owe me grace. But you see, that's no longer grace. That's a wage. That's as if God needs to pay you. But God doesn't owe us anything. Rather, how do we relate to God? We come to him by faith. We receive it as a gift. Gifts can't be paid for. You just receive it. Now, let me give you a, a stunning um, real-life illustration of what this might look like in, on, the, on the ground. Imagine two Christians. The one woke up early and had nailed his quiet time. Went to work, shared the gospel with three people. And at the evening, went to the prayer meeting because he just had an infinite amount of energy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, now can you imagine that? Imagine a second Christian skipped his quiet time because he spent too much time watching Netflix, goes to work irritated with himself because he skipped his quiet time and watched too much Netflix the previous day, instead of sharing the gospel, joins in the gossip and the crew joking, and then feels too tired to go to prayer meeting and says, I'm going to skip tonight. And then that Christian feels guilty, like he should, or she should, and then goes to God in prayer. Which one of the two Christians would God be more inclined to listen to in their prayers? Now, if you're thinking correctly, if you're thinking biblically, the answer is to both equally. To both Christians, God is immediately inclined to listen. Why? Because we never approach God the Father by our works. We always approach him by the blood of his Son. We come to him by grace. Lord, I'm coming to you because I failed. And God doesn't say, okay, I'm going to wait until you've shown me you've repented and changed your heart, and then I'll give you grace. There's a verse here that I want, to, I want you to look at carefully. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Look at this verse. He's speaking to Christians. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by our good works. You know, that's not what it says, right? Let me read it again. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places 
by the blood of Jesus. We come by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, beloved, because all your sins have been placed on Christ on the cross, you never, now I want to emphasize this word, you never have to punish yourself for any sin you've done. You don't have to wait before you come to the Father because the one on the cross said it is finished when he paid for your sins. Now, of course, this is, not, this is true for unbelievers as well, for those who do not know Christ at all. How do you come to him? Not by first saying, okay, I'm going to really try hard today and I'm going to clean myself up and wash myself and then I'll come. It's like, no, just come. Just come to him. Turn away from your sins and put your trust in Christ. And when you do that, you believe in him. He saves you. Ephesians 2 verse 8, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works. I have no one may boast. So that's the first way we relate. We, we, we deepen our communion with Christ is rely on grace for your communion. But the second point logically follows from the first, and that is remember the distinction between our union and our communion with Christ. So there is a distinction between our union with Christ and our communion. Union with Christ refers to everything that Christ did. We are united to him by grace and we belong to him. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. And that's a once for all event that never changes no matter what you do or don't do. You are always, if you have faith in Christ, you are always united to him. And what is yours is his and what is his is yours. Martin Luther gives a beautiful illustration of this, of a wedding ceremony. Imagine a great king who marries a lowly slave girl with a bad reputation. And at the wedding ceremony, the women would say, all that I am is yours and all that I have is yours. And at that moment, all of that slave girl's shame, all of her unpayable debt she owes, is immediately belongs now to the king. And then the king would say, turning to the to his bride, all that I am is yours, and all that I have is yours. And immediately, she becomes a queen, and the whole kingdom belongs to her. And that's, that's really what Christ has done, right? All our sin belongs to him, belonged to him on the cross. His death was our death, and his life is our life. Where he is, we are, and we will receive everything that belongs to him forever, this is what we mean by union with Christ. So we could say with the words of Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. We can say that of the Lord Jesus. He is mine and I am his. That union never changes. It can never be removed from us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But when it comes to our communion, with Christ, that does change. That that is affected by what we do and what we don't do. So our union stays the same, but our experience of His love, His grace, might vary depending on our works. So again, let's use the two Christian illustration I used earlier. The Christian that woke up early, evangelized, went to prayer meeting. Okay, no doubt that Christian feels closer to God. No doubt that Christian 
is experiencing the love of God in, the, in that person's heart. And no doubt, easier to resist temptation, to see temptation and say, no, I don't want that. And the flip side, you, you know this by experience. If you have skipped your quiet times and you haven't had any communion with God in a while, how easy it is to fall into temptation. Prayer feels like a burden. Church responsibilities feels like a chore, right? So although you're both, your union with Christ is the same, and by that basis you can go to the Father by grace, your experience of your communion will be different. Like a husband... Right, who neglects his wife, doesn't communicate clearly with her, he's still united to his wife. Their, their union isn't changed, but you, you can hardly say that their relationship is flourishing. In the same way with us, if our union with Christ stays intact, but our relationship won't be flourishing if we're not building it with him. So remember that distinction. That will help you fall into the errors. Okay? So, last thing I want to say on this is, we tend to want to swap our union and communion with the Lord. We want to think that our union with Christ is based on what we do, and our communion with Christ, we can just sit back and relax because our relationship will flourish on its own. You see, it's other, the other way around. You cannot do anything with your union with Christ. That's fixed, rest. But you have to work hard to build your communion with Christ. And that takes effort and discipline, which leads to the third, the third way. And that also logically follows on the second. Rethink your disciplines as communion with him. Rethink your disciplines as communion with him. So because communion takes effort, we need to carve out time to build our relationship with Christ, to hear him speak to us through his word, to speak to him through prayer. We need to share our hearts with him. But we need to rethink the way we do our disciplines as what it really is, as spending time with a person. To know him, enjoy him, trust him, become like him. We want our relationship not to be mechanical, but authentic. So Romans 12 verse 9 warns us of a reality that can happen to any of us. It says, let your love be genuine. Now, in the context, that's speaking of our love for one another. Let our love for one another be genuine. In other words, don't let your love for people be fake, be mechanical. Now, you know, all of you have experienced this. When you have spoken to someone, have a conversation with someone, you feel doesn't really want to talk to you, right? They're always looking at their phone or they're always staring across your shoulder or behind their shoulder for the next thing that person wants to do. So you're talking to this person, but you feel like there's no real communion here because this person doesn't really want to talk to you. But before we judge others too harshly, let's, let's just all confess that we've all done that. Okay, so before you like come down hard on other people doing that, like you've probably done that as well. But the point is this. Our love must be real. When we speak to another person, speak to that person as if that person is the only person alive. As if you have nothing else to do but to listen. Because this person is made in the image of God. This person has an eternal soul that's going to go to heaven or hell. Now, all of that to say, that can also happen with our relationship to the Lord. We too can start become mechanical with the Lord. We can come to Him more as our spiritual discipline, see it more as just something to get done 
But our, the eyes of our hearts is actually on the next thing we want to do. We don't want to pray. We don't want to be with, with Christ. We want to be with the next thing we want to do. We're looking at our phones. We're always looking over the shoulder. So change your mind about the way you think of your time with the Lord, your quiet times. It's not just a set of, of um, devotional times to, fi- to finish. It is time of communion with the Son, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. That's because... And I'm going to state the obvious, that Jesus is not just a subject to study, not just an intellectually satisfying object to know. He's a person. That's alive and well, even as I am speaking right now. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. You can have a relationship with him. So the challenge for us is when we come to his presence, not to pretend, to be real. You can even be real that you don't want to be there. Like, that's the most real thing you can do. Lord, I don't want to pray now. I don't want to read my Bible now. Lord, sorry that I'm not sorry for this sin or this thing I've done. You see, be real. Be yourself. And that mindset of you coming to a person, not just a set of devotional tick boxes, can actually help you on those very crazy mornings. Those crazy mornings where you, have, you feel like everything goes wrong and you, have, you feel like you, you, you don't have time to spend with the Lord in quality, like extensive time with the Lord. If you think of your communion with Christ merely as a set of things to get through, not as a person to relate to, you will always feel guilty for not spending your entire hour and a half of devotions with Christ or with Him. You're going to feel, I've, I've failed, I've missed it. But you see, that's, like a mind, that's the same mindset that says, I need to... You know, pray at least for half an hour, and then I need to read for 20 minutes, and then I need to memorize five verses, and then I need, until then, I haven't had a quiet time. And what happens? You go in that entire day feeling horrible when you shouldn't. So I want to read this quote. It's very helpful by David Mathis. He says, try to create a, a routine that can expand into more than an hour if you have it, or collapse into just 10 minutes or even less when love requires it. Such a beautiful quote. So have a routine where it can be an hour long if you want it to be, or it can be 10 minutes or five minutes when, when life is just crazy. So instead of reading your entire reading plan, just read one psalm or just read one chapter in the Gospels or, and maybe just spend more time on prayer instead of memorizing. Or You see, so be flexible when it comes to your quiet time because you are relating to a person. And even those days where you have zero minutes, you can rush into your day praying, Lord, I'm longing for you. I don't have time now. Please strengthen me by your grace to, to, to do this next thing with your power, with self-control. So, but on the flip side, because you're relating to a person, that will also give you just a longing to be with him. You see, so when you, when you have consecutive 10-minute quiet times with the Lord, there's going to be that, Lord, this is not right. I like this phrase, you're going to have a gnawing ache to be alone with the Lord, to retire from everyone. So that's not just true for introverts, okay? That's not just introverts who love that. Every Christian who loves the Lord wants to retire and just be with the Lord alone. Isn't Jesus the best example of this, right? After a crazy day of healing the sick, casting out demons, ministry, what do we read in Mark 1 verse 35? It says, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
So this, this will be true. Like Even on the busy days, there will be this longing, Lord, I don't like the season I'm in, but Lord, maybe tomorrow morning I can plan for that, that time alone with you, that time where I can just be with you. So plan for it, right? Plan for it. Otherwise it won't happen. And that leads to the last way we can deepen our relationship with Christ is return to your first love. Return to your first love. I really believe this is the greatest obstacle to our union, our communion with Christ is idolatry. We worship other things above him. We have replaced him with something other, maybe even a good thing that should never have taken that place. So, of course, that phrase, love, the first love, comes from Revelations 2. Let me read that for us as well. This is Christ's word to the church in Ephesus. Jesus says, I know your works. I know your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. That is such a danger for us. This text shows us it's possible to be very busy with the things of Jesus and miss Jesus himself. You can be very busy with ministry, with things that looks on the outward as good things. Like, look at the words Jesus says here, right? You've you, you cannot bear with evil. You are enduring for my name's sake. These are outwardly looking like great, amazing Christians, but they have abandoned Jesus, their first love. It's, it's possible to nail your quiet times. It's possible. And to grow prouder and not humbler, or more humble. I think, that, I don't know. You can correct me afterwards if it's... So you see, you all, always will be worshiping something If it's not Jesus, it will be your career, it will be money, it will be success, usually yourself. Usually the person in the mirror is your greatest idol. If it's not Jesus, you will exchange him for something, someone else. And that's why the way back is to return to your first love, to let go of your idols. Look at what Jesus says in the next verse, Revelations 2 verse 5. He says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the works you did at first i thought about that phrase remember from where you have fallen as if he wants to encourage us to think back about how it was when he was still our first love remember do you remember that do you remember that moment when you felt forgiven of all your sins you know you don't have to go to hell anymore because grace has washed you so we think back, and I, I, I can, if I can use an illustration, I hope, I hope it's helpful. Um, my children are sometimes a helpful reminder of me for my first love, for my earthly, my earthly first love, my wife. You see, what happens when you're married for a long time, you tend to get used to one another. Your house becomes more a place where you share food and share like just a common room. It's not really a place of intimacy and communion and that tends to happen as we just, you know, just do life together. But then when I look at my son and I see that childlike smile, that joy over the small things, you know, when they, how, how, just how they desire 
people to be around them all the time. Right? I know they won't admit this, but it's children want grown-ups to be with them all the time. <laughs> okay. Now, when I look at that, I see something of what my love for my wife is supposed to be. That, that innocent, almost innocent, childlike excitement, joy in my wife. And I think the proverb that says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. I think it's the same concept. Remember the wife of your youth. Remember when you fell in love, in a sense, if I could use that phrase. Now, keep on loving her like that. Now, I just want to say, to clarify, there is something like a mature love. I don't think you should always feel butterflies and always, you know, I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> Those of you dating, tell me what, what, what's there more. Okay. <laughs> but your love for your wife shouldn't go backwards. It should be deepening. It should be, it should, and I think that's the same way with Christ, with, with our, our relationship with the Lord. There, there is a sense where our love for him even becomes mature. It's not the same exactly the way it was when we first believed, but there should always be a deepening of your love for him, a, a maturing of your love for him. And I think you can do that. One of the ways you can do that is to just think back when you first believed, when he has captured your heart with his grace, with his love. And when you felt, my eternity is settled. I don't, you see, I have a lot of problems, but eternity is not one of them. Like, do you see, that is a, that's a massive problem not to have. And guess what? That's true for you if you're a Christian. Now go back. Return to your first love. And I, I want to say, this is how it's done. Um, Proverbs 23, verse 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. You see, when we've abandoned our first love, we give our hearts to other things. We give our hearts to you know, our studies, our career, our whatever it might be. But our hobbies, give your heart to him. Give it to him. You see, I think the biggest lie you'll believe is that, okay, but if I give my heart to him, will that be the best life possible? See, sometimes we worship idols because we think that's better than worshiping Christ. To, to really go all in in money, that will make me happy. That will satisfy me. <clears throat> it's not true. It's false. It's not the best life. The best life is to find your life in Christ. It's to give your heart to him. And then what will wonderfully start to happen to you as you have communion with, with the Son, as you give your heart to Him again, is that you will become like Him. So you too will have then a love for sinners. I love, Jesus was called the friend of sinners. I'm challenged by that. I know I'm a little bit in a Christian bubble, but do I have any friends that's not Christians? Do I spend time with unbelievers? Right? Do I have a longing, a desire for them to come to salvation? I'll become like Christ by praying for my enemies. He hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. So I'll be, when I have communion with Christ, I'll become like him when people insult me, people persecute me, people make my life difficult. I'll, I'll pray for them. Lord, please forgive that person. That person doesn't know what they're doing. They're blind by, by Satan. They're dead in their sins. If, and as you become more like Jesus, you also find a greater delight in the father so the irony is as you focus on the son what is the son's greatest joy it's god himself so 
as you are Christ-centered, you become more Father-centered. And when you become more Father-centered, you become more Christ-centered because the Father's greatest joy is the Son, is His Son. And so you get lost in the Trinity in a good way. (laughs) And so let me invite you again to this communion. Rely on His grace for all of your communion with Him. Never on your works, never on your performance. Remember the distinction between our union with Christ and our communion with Christ. Rethink your disciplines as communion with Him and not just as a tick box to fill. And then return to your first love if you have abandoned Him, if you've replaced Him, if you've given your heart to something, someone other than Him alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you because you are alive, you are a living person. And we come to you, Lord, by your grace, not by what we have done or by our own power and our own strength, but we want to come to you, Lord, by grace, knowing, Lord, that we are only accepted by you, by the Father, because of what you have done in our place on the cross and in our lives. Lord, may, Lord, help us and search our hearts if there's any idolatry or other gods that has taken the throne of our hearts that shouldn't be there, Lord, that help us to abandon those gods, even the good, the good gifts that you have given that has just come, become too important for us, Lord, that we would lay them aside, every weight and every sin that clings so closely, that we may look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Oh, Lord, and may our hearts belong to you because you belong to us. We pray this, Father, and Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen.